c'est vrai. Je suis un ananas. Now, in the uh, towers of uh, Edmonton... I'm not a tower, I don't speak on both sides. I do not use crack cocaine, nor am I an addict. and mysteries i'm jessica and i'm still janelle and today we have a topic which i know next to nothing about hinterkaifeck hinterkaifeck that's right we're doing the hinterkaifeck and i will be saying it like that every single time that's how it's pronounced (laughs) i yeah i i picked a german topic not appreciating just how many of the primary sources would be in german uh so this Mm. is this was a struggle not to mention, as I was just discussing with Janelle, uh, German has gone through multiple recent re-standardizations of their spelling system. So anything that is older than 50 years gets confusing, even if you speak modern German. Oh, this happened well before World War II, so it's gonna be it's gonna be an adventure. The Hinterkaifeck murders were uh, an unsolved Bavarian axe murder. So that's <laughs> just a typical Fun. Janelle topic. Oh my gosh, I don't think we've actually ever done an axe murder. That's just... This might be our first axe murder. First axe murder! Although the, the weapon itself actually turned out to not be an axe. We'll get into that. I'm already disappointed. I was promised axe murder, Janelle. You're getting a matic, which is even better. It's like a giant, Ooh. terrifying farm axe with a hoe on the other end. <laughs> So, <laughs> would I disappoint oh, you, Jessica? Even better. Even better. Oh, it's all my birthdays at once. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You need so much therapy. The Hinterkaifeck murders were a mass axe murder that took place on a small Bavarian farmstead in the spring of 1922. And to this day, it is one of the most famous unsolved crimes in German history. Obviously, the events of the next 20 years in Germany kind of overshadowed this for a while. It got pushed to the back burner. It did, but to this day, this is one of the most famous unsolved crimes in German history. And I'm telling you this to give you context, not to goad you into committing the next great unsolved Bavarian axe murder. (laughs) Please don't do that. Uh, I've always wanted to travel abroad. (laughs) I don't think you're going to get an axe through through customs. I think they're going to have some questions for you. I mean, a, a small hatchet. You do want to go travel size to get it through the plane. You've got an, a hatchet and a phrase book and you're ready to make some history. Uh, <laughs> please, please do not. I don't know how to pay bail in euros. I don't... <laughs> don't do it. So this crime has kind of become a staple among true crime aficionados and true crime blogs. Uh, it, it was a surprisingly difficult case to research because most of the primary sources are in German, and while Google Translate does an okay job of translating web pages, Google Translate don't do PDFs, especially not PDFs mm. that are scans from the 1920s. So black letter hard to parse even with advances in machine learning. Absolutely not. So I've had to piece this together from a combination of like what I could get translated from primary German sources and what seem to be commonly reported in English language sources. There are going to be some contradictions. So keep in mind, it's it's a 98-year-old case. Or I guess not, what's a 99-year-old case? 
So in this murder, somehow all five members of the Gruber family were murdered at their homestead, most likely one by one along with the family maid. The victims were not exactly the likeliest of victims and the setting wasn't exactly a hotbed of violence. You just don't really expect a farming family to be brutally murdered in the dead of night on their homestead in the bucolic hills of rural Bavaria. It's not exactly what everything The Sound of Music said it would be. You expect good beer and lederhosen in the hills of rural (laughs) Bavaria. You don't expect axe murder. I'm going to spend this entire time imagining everyone involved in this in lederhosen. They are not. I promise you they are not wearing lederhosen. Hey, maybe maybe the maid did it, and she just, like, murdered herself with with the axe afterwards. Maybe it was a, an axe murder-suicide. No, okay, I know you're saying that to, to be as dumb as possible, but that was a theory that was floated afterwards. No, that was that was genuinely floated as a theory. That one oh, of the man, people- Oh man, I was just trying to goad you. Spoiler alert, it was investigated as a suicide. It was not a suicide. <laughs> I feel, I mean, obviously I don't know who actually did this, but I feel confident ruling that out. We're, I'm gonna, this is a warning episode. This episode gets gross. Uh, <laughs> I don't, there's there's no way to describe this crime. I'm already looking forward to it. I've got a big bowl of popcorn. Yeah, I mean, for sure that Jessica will be enjoying this, but for the rest of you, maybe don't eat while you listen to this one. Those of us who don't have Jessica's goat stomach... Might want to go a little easier (laughs) while listening to descriptions of murder. So, the brutality of this crime, the lack of apparent motive, and the killer's actions in the days before and after the murder baffled investigators, and almost a hundred years later, we're still trying to figure this one out. This one's gonna be a ride. Like Um, Disneyland. So, yeah, Disneyland, but, you know, six people die. Yeah, like Disneyland. (laughs) I don't want to know what, like, rusty, abandoned carnival you were taken to as a child. <laughs> Look, Jessica, it's Disneyland. I'm just saying, those mascot costumes get a little bit hot. Just casually cooking their employees to death. I could see it. <laughs> the inside of Donald Duck is a crockpot, and I'm I'm just speaking the truth. I think they're technically air-conditioned, those costumes, but that's a whole other thing. They'd have to be. They have to be. There's no way. You would not sweat straight through it. Yeah, otherwise Goofy's gonna die. <laughs> The murders are called the Hinterkaifeck murders because they took place on a small homestead called Hinterkaifeck. This is like back in the days before numbered street addresses, you named your homestead. To my English-speaking ears, Hinterkaifeck sounds like a German secret service division that like carries out the assassination of foreign leaders, but the truth is way more mundane. One of the closest towns to the homestead is the nearby town of Kaifeck, and Hinter is the German word for behind. So the name is literally just behind Kaifek, which is where this is located. Yeah, it's it's not that exciting of a name. <laughs> I've never actually seen a good estimation of how large the homestead is. It's not like a huge commercial farm, but it is a working farm that a family could maintain on their own. And it was located in a very rural part of Bavaria, around 70 kilometers or 43 miles north of the city of Munich, which is the county seat of Bavaria. So it was reportedly the kind of place where neighbors really looked out for each other, even though they were spread pretty far apart. When you live in a rural area like that, you are actually quite close to your neighbors. You kind of have to be. If if somebody actually cuts their foot off chopping wood, there's no doctor nearby. You're gonna have to you have to get help somewhere. Yeah, you have to lead on the neighbors. 
my my parents have Willie, which is their neighbor who like just rocks up on this ATV that he's tricked out like the Pope mobile. He's enclosed it in see-through plexiglass. <laughs> every couple every couple of days, William turns up unannounced with like moonshine and fish, which he trades my parents for eggs. It's a wonderful system. <laughs> That's how my parents exist. They can't get Amazon delivery where they are, so they just, like, trade eggs for food. It's <laughs> They have chickens. Other people have different things. That's just how they live. My mom got a rooster the other day for some pickles. <laughs> it's Wow. <laughs> <laughs> just a perfect little barter economy going on there. Kind of that kind of system where, like, yeah, you're so far from civilization that you sort of need your neighbors. It's a mutual aid sort of thing. You have their back and they mm-hmm. have yours. So 1922 was sort of a rough time for Germany, although in fairness, you can throw a dart at a timeline of the 20th century and pretty much any time you hit is going to be a rough time for Germany. Not a spectacular century for them. This is in the years of hyperinflation and unrest following Germany's defeat in World War One. So people were sort of more dependent on their neighbors and communities for support than they'd ever been. Yeah, because money is meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> the The family that was killed was actually pretty much the wealthiest family in the area. Oh, so they had two pallets of Deutschmarks. <laughs> <laughs> they had they had some. They Did had... you have a barn of the stuff? <laughs> <laughs> they had gold. They had gold, which was there. Ah, uh, yeah. But yeah, they yeah. they did. They had they had a lot of marks and cash and valuable items and everything. So just towering stacks of Deutschmarks. <laughs> I bet they were. I bet they were using the shit as toilet paper. Kept them warm in the winter, just burning it by the bale. <laughs> just with a huge shovel, just just pushing it into the stove. Yeah, post World War One, Germany was not a place to be. <laughs> So in 1922, Hinterkaifeck was home to the Gruber family, which consisted of Andreas Gruber, 63, and his wife Kazelia, 72, and their adult daughter Victoria Gabriel, 35, who had been widowed in the war, as well as her children Kazelia, 7, and Joseph, age 2. The family also employed a maid who lived in the servants' quarters of their home, and at the time of the murders, the maid was a woman named Maria Baumgartner, age 44. Baumgartner? Baumgartner, and she's the unluckiest woman on the planet because she was actually killed on her very first night there. Oh, Yeah, she actually- she hadn't even started her job, technically. She was supposed to start the next morning. That is a rough orientation. Yeah, you start a new job, you haven't figured out where the bathroom is yet, and then someone comes in with an axe and chops you up. Yeah, it's a rough, rough- that's a rough I life. thought I had a bad- a couple bad jobs. Jeez. <laughs> I've never been murdered at work yet, so- yeah. It's, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I did have once have like an entire day where they were having active shooter training drills and every time the trainer passed my desk, she would always mention how it was specifically a bad place to hide. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> and good. how if a if if a if a shooter came in the door, like anyone who went underneath it would get shot immediately. <laughs> I'm like, oh thanks. It's always good when they point out that you sit at the die for sure desk. <laughs> That's kind of the secretary's position. If they get past the, the doorman, you're next. <laughs> I worked at a Staples during back to school once, so my survival was not guaranteed. Stampeded <laughs> by a bunch of chaos. Thirty-something <laughs> women and their ungrateful spawn. Just getting into fist fights over the scissors. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> A washable marker is not worth dying for. 
If you ever want to see grown-ass adults lose their fucking minds over pencil crayons, highly recommend it. <laughs> oh, late August is a bloodbath. Yeah, so, you know, I know what it's like to have a dangerous job. Not quite as dangerous as this one, apparently, but I can relate. Bet you didn't even get danger pay. No, but I mean, I went into Staples expecting it to be dangerous. I knew what I was getting into. This poor woman had no idea. The family had actually acquired Hinterkaifeck through the wife, Kazelia, the the older wife. Well, I mean, the young Kazelia is seven, so obviously she's not the landowner here. Um, <laughs> although she was, actually, we'll get into this. She's too young to be wed. So the property had initially been purchased in 1865 by a man named Johan Assam. When Johan died in 1877, the property passed to his son, Joseph Assam. Later that year, Joseph married Kazelia, who was Kazelia Sanhuter at the time. Love a good umlaut. Mm. But in May of 1885, Joseph died of pneumonia, leaving Kazelia the sole owner of the property. A few months later, Kazelia remarried Andreas Gruber, a servant nearly ten years younger than she was. Um, which was unusual you for the day it, and age. I know, get some. <laughs> and upon their marriage, they became co-owners of the property. So it was an unusual marriage, even for the time. I mean, she's, he's not her equal. She's 10 years older. I don't know if he was her servant or just a servant, but he worked as a servant and she's a wealthy landowner. Oh, it's a huge gap. Spoiler alert, Andreas Gruber was apparently a monster. Just an absolute mm. monster of a person. So I've seen speculation that, like, he he went into this marriage for the property. But when Andreas and Cazelia's daughter, Victoria, their only daughter who survived to adulthood, when she married Carl Gabriel in 1914, the Gruber parents transferred ownership of the property to the new couple. So Carl owned half the farm and Victoria owned half. When Carl died in World War I later that same year, a quarter of his share of the farm went to the widow and three quarters of his share went to his unborn child, Cazelia. This means that at the time of the murder, Victoria legally owned five-eighths of the property, and her daughter, Cazelia, the seven-year-old, legally owned three-eighths of the property. This might have been part of the motive for their murder, or this might just be extraneous information about property ownership that she didn't need to know. It's genuinely impossible to say. We have no idea why this murder took place. The house that the family lived in on Hinterkaifeck was sort of like an L-shaped, multi-purpose farm building, where the living quarters, stable, and barn were all under the same roof. Germany's fucking cold, guys. And uh, mm. some things, all the thing, the only thing that keeps you from death is the body heat of a good horse. <laughs> I mean, they didn't like all live in the same room. It's not just like we casually have horses in the living room. There was there was divisions <laughs> inside. They just happened to have a connected roof. <laughs> it was. You can find- Jessica wants a horse in the living room so bad now. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I want a horse in the living room. Like, I, I don't want the back of a horse in the living room. I would be happy if it had, like, just, like, a horsey window. <laughs> that it could just shit onto the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you know the damage you could do? Dropping fresh horse shit from a fourth floor window? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I assume this is, like, a single story. The horse shouldn't be going upstairs. Like, they have delicate bones. They're fragile animals. Um, like, they die with very little provocation. But, like, if I was at, like, a single story house, and, like, there was a horse technically in the building, I wouldn't mind if there was a little horsey window that allowed the horsey 
to look in on whatever the fuck I was doing. I think it would be enriching for the horse. <laughs> and for me. I think that's a good living situation. Like, I, I don't want the horse to be, like, my roommate, but I wouldn't mind if it was, like, my Tim Allen-style neighbor poking its head over the fence. <laughs> Just Jessica sitting in her living room playing Cards Against Humanity with a horse. <laughs> living the dream. <laughs> Name a better living situation. No, it's true. Name a single sitcom that would not have been vastly improved by just the inclusion of a horse sticking its head in from time to time and eating some hay. (laughs) Jessica just has an uncomfortably literal interpretation of Bojack Horseman. (laughs) That looks like a good time. I I don't understand why the horseman is depressed. He he should be given more more pats and carrots. (laughs) I just want to live with a horse that is forced by Will Arnett. Is that too much to ask? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so if you go online, you can look up pictures of what is apparently Jessica's dream home that contains a stables and barn. The building is sort of a big L, and uh, you can also find floor plans of this. Although, I should actually point out, you can find floor plans of this, but they are labeled in German. So, good luck to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you, if you can figure out which one's the stable, you're a better man than I. Actually, no, you're not. I speak German. Yeah, I don't at all. So it was, I spent some long hours with Google Translate so for I, this one. I'm the best man here. <laughs> so the living quarters, kind of the house with the servants' quarters inside, was on one side of the building with the stables right next to it. And then there was an attached barn on the other side of the stables that kind of made up the other arm of the L. And there were doors to go between each section of the building. So you could sort of do your farm chores without really leaving the house. So it sort of went living quarters, stables, barn, and then a machine room at the end where there was like machinery for threshing and such. That's basically how I designed my uh, my living situation back in university. Like, I'm going to live in this building and I'm never going to go outside. I'm just going to... Live in a building connected to all the buildings with my classes in them. That is true. Jessica lived in this, like, effectively a mall on our university campus yeah. for several years. It was years. a food court. It was like a, a, a large indoor mall that Jessica lived in the stairwell. And it connected to, like, most of the buildings where they held arts classes. You didn't need to wear shoes. And that was my entire qualification for where I wanted to live. I'm like, sold. And they're like... Oh, by the way, like, it has, like, an absurd number of suicides every year, and I'm like, don't care. Yeah, Keep it me did. In weird, sad, concrete box. It was evacuated, <laughs> like, several times a year for suicides. It was, that was mm-hmm. really dark, actually. There was also a murder, like, right outside your door when we oh, were- Oh, yeah. Immediately before I moved in. Yeah, somebody was shot to death, like, right outside where you lived. It was just wild. Look up, look up Hub Mall, University of Alberta. It was by the ATM I regularly got cash from. Yeah, look up look up Hub Mall if you want to get a, a dark insight into Jessica's formative years. She lived in a giant white mall. <laughs> like, the first eight months I went to school, I had to step over a small candlelit shrine to the deceased in order to take out money. Yeah, what a place. Also, your apartment always smelled like burritos and Chinese food. Everything in that building did. Excuse you, it smelled like Thai food? <laughs> On the burrito's point, I made no notes. (laughs) I smell like refried beans for several years. I went to see you every time I wanted a burrito. (laughs) What glory days. Oh yeah, we can we can we can get some mid quality Mexican and say hi to (laughs) Jesse. The good old days. 
every section of the house had doors in between it and exterior doors as well, but they, the building shared a common attic. So if you went up to the attic, you could get from one end to the other. That was just one big space. Dun dun dun. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. That is actually relevant to the murders. Other than that, though, there wasn't really anything remarkable or interesting about this family. Except for the husband's abuse. But other than that, they were sort of like just a Bavarian farm family. If they hadn't been killed in a brutal, unsolved mass murder on their own farm, nobody would ever have heard of them. They were not strange enough to make history. Um, Other than the abuse and incest, that... Oh, God. Yeah, so... That's a bit of... Yeah. hell of a footnote. Yeah, hell of a... Hell of a pivot there, isn't it? So, Mm. the father, Andreas, like I said, had kind of a reputation for being a bit of a monster. It was fairly well known that there was an incestuous relationship going on between Victoria and her father, Andreas. It's not really clear how much Victoria was a driver of this. If she was an instigator of this, it seems really like she was more Andreas's victim. A lot of sources portray this as like a consensual thing because they were actually convicted of incest in 1915. They were convicted of it? Oh, no, no. Like they were convicted of this. This is this is in the records. So Andreas oh served a year in prison and she served one month in prison. There's no allegedly to this. They were no, no, this legally is, found guilty of incest. This is not a rumor. They were found guilty of incest. And it was fairly well known that this was happening. So I'd have to move, to be honest. I'd have to move. Yeah. Well, Victoria was 28 years old when they were convicted. So it was assumed that she was a willing participant. That's not necessarily true. No, no. Far from it. She served a month in prison for incest. I don't think that solved the problem. Yeah, 30 days for getting diddled. She had been reporting for more than a decade that this was happening and that her father was abusing her. So she was reporting this at 18. The first time anybody could remember hearing her talk about this, because they talked to a lot of the neighbors and villagers after this happened. People remembered her saying this for at least a decade, and it seemed to have been going on longer than that. So it really seems like she was sort of a lifetime victim of sexual abuse from her father. So, like, she's just, like, opening up, like, com- conversations at Games of Wits and just going, like, sup, my dad fucks me against my will. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, what do and you And then they like, one day they were like, <laughs> like, prison time. I think people <laughs> just had no idea what to do about the situation. Like, I, 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 honestly, I don't know what you do do. Somebody turned them in eventually. They were eventually convicted, but, like. But the, then they also jail her. People are also afraid of Andreas. I mean, the. The family had three daughters, and the rumors in town were that two of them had died from his abuse, and that Victoria was the only one to survive. I found nothing to actually corroborate this. This was just sort of the story, apparently, that that the neighbors believe, so I don't know how true it is, but that was what people felt. She also married quite late for the, for the era. She married in her 30s, and... Uh, her husband immediately dies. 
So she's she's also seems to be having a rough go of things. Did Andreas do that too? Or was it something else? And you're like, it was war, Jessica. It was war, Jessica. <laughs> Although we're going to discuss the husband. He does come back into the story. But that's kind of the background on the family. As a zombie? No, he does not come back as a zombie. Call of Duty warned me this would happen. No, he does not come back as a Nazi zombie. <laughs> this is pre- one, this is pre-Nazis. And two, no. Family incest aside... Uh, there was a couple of strange things that happened on the farm before the murders took place. And I mean, like, not years, but in the weeks leading up to the murders. Six months before the murders, the family's old maid quit. If you research this on blogs, you'll find a lot of sources saying that she'd started hearing footsteps in the attic and that she believed the place to be haunted. But in the statement she actually gave to the police after the murder, she didn't say anything like that. So don't believe everything you read on Reddit, kids. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm devastated. I'm devastated that Reddit isn't always- You mean AMC isn't going to the moon? I know. Hold the line, Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) In March of 1922, Andreas found a newspaper from Munich on the Hinterkaifeck property. This was somewhat unusual, as Munich was 70 kilometers away, and Andreas didn't subscribe to any of their newspapers, nor did any of the neighbors. Andreas figured that the mailman had probably dropped the paper by accident while making his deliveries and that it had been intended for another customer on his route, but nobody on that mailman's route subscribed to that particular newspaper, and he said it hadn't come from him. That is odd, because 70 kilometers is, like, not that far today. It's pretty far, and it's far for a newspaper just to sort of appear. A few days before the murders, Andreas found fresh tracks in the snow that led from the nearby forest to the door of the farm's machine room. The lock on the door had been broken, and there were no footsteps leading back out into the woods. The footsteps only went one way and didn't appear to belong to anyone in the family. Okay, that's creepy as shit. Yeah, it's creepy as shit. So there was a wood- there was a forest on the edge of the property called Witchwood. Oh, good. Witchwood is sometimes- I couldn't tell if that was the name of the forest, or the term Witchwood refers to a forest that's full of elms. But uh, there was other neighbors on the other side, but this was a fairly large, fairly dense wood. And this is creepy as shit. If I found mysterious footsteps that led one way to a broken lock on my property, I would fucking leave. (laughs) I would flip. But then again, I'm a true crime podcaster. I'm staying at my mom's place. Holy shit. The night he found the footsteps, again, this is just days before the entire family is murdered. The family heard footsteps coming from the attic. Andreas apparently went up there and searched the entire building looking for the source of the sound, but found no one. That's upsetting even if you aren't murdered a couple days later. Like, that is already comfortably freaky as shit. Like, that's not one of those things where it's like, in retrospect, we understand that this was a sign. It's like, no, that's upsetting right away. Right, I live in an apartment building and I still get spooked when I hear footsteps on my fucking ceiling. <laughs> yeah, and y- you know it's just Dave. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I know. It's, I think Dave is bowling up there. To stay busy during the <laughs> pandemic, but uh, at least I know it's it's not ghost bowling, but it's uh, still it's spooky as hell. These are people that like live in the woods in Bavaria. They don't have street noise. We know about all these strange happenings around the farm because Andreas told several of his neighbors about them prior to the murders. Again, this is an area where the neighbors are kind of a close knit bunch. The neighbors were quite concerned about this, and several of them offered to come to the house to help him check for intruders. Several of them also offered to let Andreas have one of their guns. 
Andreas declined the offers of help and guns, and he also declined to report the incidents to the local police. So one of the family's house keys disappeared a few days before the murders as well, and none of the family could explain it. They'd never lost their keys before, and they just didn't know where it had gone. Andreas, with all these unusual things happening, comes to the conclusion that it is ghosts, and just goes about his business. What the- yeah. Ghosts yeah. don't need to steal keys. That's why he turned down the offers of help. He was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's just ghosts. And just sort of <laughs> goes about living. Nah, bro, I'm pretty sure it's ghosts. Ghosts are breaking into my house. They're walking on the ceiling. They're stealing my keys. Damn ghosts. What can you do? Like, oh no, it's ghosts. I guess we just can't do anything. Like, yeah, it's a very blasé reaction to this kind of stuff. No need for police unless they're gonna bust some ghosts. Uh, yeah. Da na 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 You know, the Bavarian police busting in there with their plasma guns and their later hosen. <laughs> I have no idea what the word Ghostbusters would be in German. I assume it's, like, 19 syllables long. Yeah, this guy is the protagonist in, like, every horror movie. He's like, nope, it's ghosts. Nothing to do. Da-da-da-da-da. The Ghostbusters are Geisterjäger. Geisterjäger. I like it. Die Geisterjäger. (laughs) So a schoolmate of Kazelia's, the seven-year-old, not the 70-year-old, said that Kazelia told her her mom had fled the house the night before the murders after some kind of violent quarrel. She was reportedly not found until hours later and was just out wandering in the forest. It's hard to tell how relevant this information actually is, because this is the second-hand word of a seven-year-old, and we already know that Victoria had this tumultuous relationship with her father who abused her, so we don't know what the quarrel was about or if it was relevant to the murders, but there you go. So the murders took place on Friday, March 31st, 1922. It was the day that Maria Baumgartner was arriving to start her new maid job. She would take the day to settle in and was due to begin work the following morning on April 1st. So again, she never even gets to start her job. That is rough luck. (laughs) But very reasonable working conditions. I can tell why she took the position. Well, uh, Maria was actually mildly physical and intellectually disabled. So it was quite difficult for her to find work, and she was very happy to have secured this maid position, so... Oh, don't make- don't- don't make me empathize! Don't humanize her! I know, I'm sorry, she was a disabled woman who was struggling to find work. She was so happy to have finally found a post. Things were finally coming up, Maria. I know, it's absolutely tragic. It's such bad luck. It's such bad luck. Oh my god. I feel worse than I do about the seven-year-old. Don't humanize the kid next. Oh, I'm gonna humanize them all. You just wait. Except for Andreas. He's a monster. But But, and it, it, it really appears that this was just a complete coincidence. Like, it doesn't appear that Maria had anything to do with the motive for murder. Um, if there was a motive for why the family was killed, it was almost certainly tied to one of the other family members. It it seems like this is yeah, it, seriously just the worst luck. It, she, she just ends up being the least interesting person involved here. She kind of does, unfortunately. She's very much overlooked with, like, the like the Gerber family gets killed. Oh, and they're made. And when when they identify some of the suspects who have ties to the family, they, they almost inevitably have ties to either Andreas or Victoria. It's It's never Maria. But Maria was accompanied to the property by her sister, who stayed there for a short while to help Maria settle in. 
The sister leaves the property at around 6 p.m. on March 31st, and she is the last one to see the family alive. Oh, no. We're pretty sure that the murders took place in the uh, within a couple of hours of her leaving. Um, I know. So, the following day, on April 1st, 1922, two brothers by the name of Hans Shirovsky and Edward Shirovsky arrive on the property around lunchtime to order coffee from the family. This is apparently something that they did when they were in the area on business. I guess the family sold coffee out of their house. It's a bit like when you're in rural Nova Scotia and they're like, oh yeah, this restaurant's really great. It's open Thursdays from 11 to 1. And it's just an old lady who sells pies. <laughs> it is kind of that arrangement. There's a lot of that in the Maritimes. We're just like, yeah, you can get like chowder on Tuesday like for three hours here in this woman's barn. These brothers were in the area on business and they had been to the house to order coffee just the previous day. So the men said that they knocked on the door and on the windows but got no response. They apparently looked all around the building, uh, walked all around the building, looked into the windows of the living quarters and stables, but didn't see anyone around except for the family dog. They said all the doors to the house were locked except the door to the machine room, which was hanging open. The brothers left the property without going inside and told people in the nearby village about the mysterious absence of the Gruber family at their farm. Yeah, because, like, they probably would have mentioned if they were not going to be there the next day. Yeah, they also don't really have a reason to not be there. Like, what else are they going to do? It's two elderly people and a widow. And a seven-year-old. Um, and a two-year-old. Although the dog is a weird... That's a weird detail. Yeah, the dog is a weird detail throughout this. Like, how do you murder... What was it, five or six people? And not alert the dog? The police had some thoughts on this. The dog is a Pomeranian, by the way. Please don't... Please don't picture a dog that can do anything about this. The dog is a Pomeranian. <laughs> like, the dog might be upset, but it can't really protest. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a Pomeranian. I The whole time I was oh, researching no. this, I was picturing, like, a dog. Like, farm dog? Like, a dog that can reasonably do something if you're being murdered. <laughs> My parents have a Newfoundland. The, the Newfie's not going to go down quietly. She's 140 pounds. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. This is a Pomeranian. You're going to have to fight that dog. This dog cannot do shit. <laughs> so we're not talking Guinness. We're talking Bianca. Yeah, no, no, no. Exactly. But the dog, Pomeranians bark, at least. And, uh, yeah, yeah. They're not they're pretty loud. They're actually pretty yappy as far as dogs go. But the dog's, the dog's there and the dog's just chilling. But the dog is there throughout the whole thing. The two brothers go to the village and tell people that the Gruber family is gone, which is curious. And little Cazelia Gabriel failed to show up for school that day, which was also very unusual for her. She had never had any absences without an excuse. So during the night of April 1st, a local artisan named Michael Plockel, again, love that umlaut, was walking past Hinterkaifeck and noticed that the stove had been lit and was producing a foul-smelling smoke. He said that he saw a figure who approached him holding a lit lantern, that the lamplight had blinded him, so he hurried on his way without speaking to the person or getting a good look at them. This is especially chilling because we know for a fact that the family is dead at this point. Yeah, good instincts there, bud. <laughs> so on Sunday, April 2nd, the family missed church services. This was also very unusual for them, as Victoria was a member of the church choir. On Monday, April 3rd, Cazelia again misses school without an excuse. Continues to be unusual. It had also been several days since the family had checked their mail, and mail was beginning to pile up at the post office. 
neighbors began to get concerned. On the morning of April 4th, a mechanic showed up at the property to repair the diesel engine of a food shopper. I don't entirely know what this machine is. i am It's on a farm. I'm just trusting that it's a farm thing. So this was a repair that had been scheduled in advance. They knew that he was coming. But the mechanic knocked on the door and got no response. He also saw no smoke coming from the chimney and figured that the family had probably just stepped out. He noticed the broken lock on the machine room door, and after waiting an hour for the family return, he decided to just go in through the door with the broken lock and do the repair, which took a little over four hours. Oh, I'm just imagining the creepiness of just, like, if you just order a plumber and he shows up, he comes in, he's just, like, fixing the sink. Meanwhile, your fucking corpse is on the other side of a wall. Yep. It's just on the other side of- that, that is so- Like, that is more upsetting than anything I have seen in a horror movie. Yeah, so the machine room is a, is kind of attached to the end of the barn. There's a door between them and a wall between them, so he's not- I mean, spoiler alert, the family's in the barn. So he's he's not uh, standing right next to their corpses, but yeah, they're they're dead on the other side of the wall the entire time he's fixing their engine. Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 Spookier yet, the mechanic said that all the doors to the property were shut when he arrived, and that he heard the family dog barking inside the house, like the living quarters portion. When he left after doing the repair, however, he said that the barn door was now open and the dog was tied up outside. Oh. He tried the house's door again, but found that it was still locked. Oh. Oh, oh. yeah. Real spooky. Like, just like the close calls that people are having... With somebody who's clearly moving around the property while everyone else is fucking dead. Like, killing somebody is one thing. Right. It's bad. Hanging out with their shit and just moving around the same building where they are lying, like, dead the entire time. That's- that's cold. The murderer stayed in the house for several days after killing the whole family. Which feels risky. It feels very risky. At 3.30 that afternoon, a local man named Lorenz Schlittenbauer, which is a fantastic name, he was their closest neighbor. He sent his sons, Johan, and his stepson, Joseph, these boys are 16 and 9 years old, to Hinterkaifeck to check on the family and see if anyone was there. By this point, the community was very concerned. The boys knocked on the door but got no response and left the property. When they told their father that they hadn't seen anyone, Lawrence headed back to the farm with two local men named Michael Pohl and Jacob Sigel to see just what the fuck was going on. The two men broke into the barn and discovered the bodies of four members of the family. I mean, at a certain point, you do break into the barn. You break in eventually. Like, you, nobody has seen this family in four days. The girl's not going to school. They're not going to church. They weren't home for a scheduled repair. Like, something is clearly wrong. Something is clearly wrong. Something is so up. When the mechanic leaves, the barn door is open. By the time this search party gets there, it's locked again. Something's up. Oh boy. So they break into the barn through the barn door. This is this is a wee reminder that uh, this is a gross episode and everything that comes after this point is extremely gross and extremely sad and very upsetting. Um, this family died an extraordinarily violent death, and two of the victims are young children. So if you have ice cream in the nearby vicinity, this is this is the time. Although, again, you may not want to eat during this description. It's not going to be good. I'm just warning you now. I'm still eating. <laughs> Jessica's like, I'll eat a whole fucking meal right now. 
Yeah, I, my stomach cannot be stopped. <laughs> the four bodies in the barn were those of Victoria, her parents, and her daughter, Cazelia. All four were lying on the ground near the door to the stables, and they had been partially covered by hay. A board had been placed over top of them. All had pools of blood around their heads and appeared to be laying roughly in the spots where they'd fallen. The searchers discovered them by accident. They were shuffling their feet when they went into the barn as they couldn't see what was under the hay in the darkness, and one of them accidentally tripped over something. They assumed that it was maybe a baby cow or an ox hiding under the hay, but when they reached down, they grabbed a foot and pulled out the body of Andreas Gruber. Oh, boy. Hate it when you trip over something and it turns out to be a dead foot. Yeah, it, like, I, like this is this is probably, like, a very farm recollection of mine, but, like, I once found, like, a dead sheep in my aunt's barn once, and, like, they get real cold when they've been left out for a while. Yeah, I, uh, once found a dead person. Can't really talk about the incident too much. Uh, for reasons. It was for reasons, but I found a dead person, and touch them to, to try to administer first aid. It was beyond too late. You don't understand how cold the dead are until you've touched a dead person. And it's partially an expectation thing. Like, you've touched things that are as cold as a dead person before. You have. But... They're not, like, refri- like, they don't have a source of refrigeration. They're not fridge cold. They're just room temperature. But you don't understand how warm people are until you touch someone that is no longer warm. Blech. Yeah, they're oh. the wrong texture. Your skin is no longer soft. They're just like hard and cold, and it's not pleasant. If you have the option to touch a dead person, I would say no, no. Strongly, strongly, strongly I give that, against I, it. I give that a two out of ten. Would not recommend. Wouldn't recommend. So, reaching into the hay and grabbing a whole ass dead foot is uh, mm. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, go it's with such a nightmare. Blech. So they also grabbed the body of little Cazelia out from under the hay and laid those bodies down on their backs on top of the hay. They lifted the board off the bodies but left the other two alone. They were laying on their stomachs on the ground and seemed to be where they died. Andreas was dressed only in trousers and a shirt, while Cazelia was only wearing a shirt. Uh, the other two women were dressed in their work clothes, so it suggests that they died in the evening. Cazelia seemed to be dressed to go to bed, but she's seven, and the other women are dressed just in their daily clothes, so they hadn't they hadn't gotten ready for bed yet, um, and they were seen alive at six p.m. So it it kind of gives an an indication of the time period. Um, the older Cazelia appeared to have been strangled and had taken seven blows to the head, which had cracked her skull. Andreas's face was covered in thick, dried blood. The skin of his face had been shredded so severely in the attack that his cheekbones were actually protruding out of his flesh. Oh, boy. Not good. Um, Hell of a makeover. Victoria had nine star-shaped wounds and had taken a blow from a blunt object on the right side of her face. Her skull had also been shattered. Cazelia, the young seven-year-old Cazelia, had a multitude of round wounds on her face and neck, um, including one fairly severe wound to her neck, and her jaw had been shattered. It was determined after the fact that the family had most likely been killed by a mattock. This is a common farm tool that has a pick or a vertical blade on one side and a horizontal flat blade on the other. It's kind of a combination axe slash hoe slash pick. 
They didn't actually find the mattock during the initial search of the crime scene, but they determined that that was the tool most consistent with their wounds. Well, it's efficient. Yeah, you can look up what a mattock is. It's, it's, uh, I wouldn't want to be hit with one. It's basically, uh, it's got two blades. One is vertical, one's horizontal. Um, it's a very common farm tool. And, spoiler alert, the coroner was correct. It was a mattock, and it was actually still on the property, but it took them a while to find it. It was actually quite well hidden. I mean, he had time. They didn't find it for a year. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. It was later determined that the adults in the barn probably died instantly from their wounds. Little Kazelia, however, was believed to have survived for several hours after the attack. It appeared that she had gone into shock after the attack and had spent the final hours of her life ripping out her own hair in clumps. Oh. Yeah, I told oh. you, this is not a this is not a good section. This oh. is a very gross and sad section. Oh. Her throat had been cut so she wouldn't have been able to scream or to, to make any noise. But yeah, she kind of spent the last hours of her life dying in the barn next to her parents, her mother's body. And her grandparents' bodies, and just not being able to do anything about it. So she would have gone into physical and psychological shock from that. That's a um, hell of an excuse to miss school. It's pretty horrific. So the search party, after they find the bodies in the barn, continued into the house and checked Joseph's room. One of Victoria's dresses had been draped over Joseph's crib, concealing it. When they lifted the dress off, they discovered that two-year-old Joseph had been killed by a blow to the face that shattered his head. Ugh. Brain matter was scattered all over the inside of the crib. There was blood splattered in the hallway in the kitchen, and they followed the blood to the maid's chamber where they saw a blanket spread out on the floor and something underneath it. They lifted the blanket and saw a woman they didn't know, Maria, the new maid. She had been killed by two crosswise blows to the head. Why go to this effort to cover them? I don't know. That's one of the more unusual details about the case. Why did the killer bother? It's like a weird... Because it's so passion almost. It's so brutal. These are such brutal murders. And normally when you're that brutal, you don't go to this effort to give the dead dignity. No, it's a very unusual detail about the case. Why bother to cover up the body of the maid and the, the boy? I mean, all of the bodies were covered. It's just the ones in the barn were covered with hay. But why actually drape a blanket over the body of the maid? Why? It's It's very unusual. And, like, if everyone is where they were when they died, how are they all in the barn? Yeah, that was something that investigators kind of pieced together afterwards. Because, like, the blood is there. Yeah, they, there's no there's no drag marks. There's nothing indicating, because they would have had to have been, if they were killed in the house and then taken to the barn, they would have had to be dragged through the stables. So, and there probably no... would have been a lot of blood in the house. Yo, oh, unbelievably. And it would have been heavy... There's also, like, the logistics of this murder are very curious because you have six people. And how do you murder six people if you're one person or two people acting alone? You'd think somebody would have noticed. So they have theories about how this happened. But after finding the bodies, Lawrence instructed his son to bike to the nearby town of Wangen and inform the mayor of the murders. He also instructed a local farmer's son to bike to town and have someone contact the family's relatives by telephone. News of the murders spread pretty quickly, and locals began just showing up at the farm to sort of stand around and gawk at it. So, Lawrence told police that he didn't let any bystanders into the family's living quarters, and he just sort of hung out 
tending to the family's animals until the gendarme and the mayor arrived. So when the police showed up to begin their investigation, they realized right away that this was going to be a very difficult crime scene. They already determined that the family had died sometime during the late evening of March 31st. They were alive when Maria's sister left the house, but the daughter missed school the following morning. And since all three of the adult women, including the maid, were still dressed in day clothes when they died, and the maid's bag had not yet been unpacked, it suggested that the attack happened before bedtime, probably not long after the sister left. The issue, though, is that a whole fucking bunch of people had just stomped around the crime scene and contaminated the absolute fuck out of it before the police got there. The search party who discovered the murders had moved and repositioned two of the bodies, and they also, like, hung out in the family kitchen. I found sources that suggest that they cooked themselves a meal in the family kitchen while waiting for police, which is really not what you want. And I mean, if the horses have waited this long for food, they can wait another few hours. No, that was the curious thing. They hadn't. All the animals had been fed regularly Uh, after the deaths. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, no, none of the none of the animals showed any signs of neglect. You need to milk cows daily, or they become very, very uncomfortable. But the cows seem to have been milked regularly, in the family's absence. What the fuck? Oh no, no, no! What I know, no, no! I don't, I don't choose unsolved crimes unless they're weird what as fuck. The this one qualifies. Fuck? Who just stands around milking cows? Because like one person could not drink enough milk. Like this has to be somebody who's doing this specifically to relieve the cows. Ah. Yeah, it's either somebody who, like, I don't know, like, the farm instincts are just so strong, you just can't leave a cow unmilked, it's, like, not <laughs> in your nature. I have no it's, idea. It's, a, it's an urge. It's in the blood. Yeah, so... No cow unmilked. No cow unmilked. But, um, despite that the evidence had been tampered with, and in one case, dragged around by its foot, the police were able to determine a couple of things. An autopsy was performed on on the victims on site the following day, right there in the barn. This was how they determined that a mattock was the likely murder weapon, although they did not find one at the scene. Um, fun fact, during the autopsy, the heads of the victims were removed from the bodies, and they were sent to Munich so that a psychic medium could study them. Neat. Um, yeah, to see if she had any insights into the case. But during World War II, they were lost somehow and were never returned to the victims. To this oh. day, the the bodies of the Hinterkaifeck victims are buried without heads. Oh. Nobody knows where the heads ended up. How, you just, did you just misfile them? Six preserved heads somehow went missing in World War II in Munich, and they just sort of never turned up again. Admittedly, there was a lot going on. They had a lot. They had other priorities, but I mean, it's six preserved heads. Yeah, that that feels like a weird thing. That like you can lose one preserved head, you get a gimme, but six, <laughs> but six, six. Who just has a two-year-old's head in a jar and is just like, whoops, where did I leave that? I don't. Yeah. So, mm, you make of that what you will. There's just a a six lost pickled heads somewhere in Munich. Yeah. If you if you visit Hinterkaifeck, the site of Hinterkaifeck today, the the house is long gone. But there's a shrine and, like, a burial site for the family, and yeah, they're just down there without any heads. That's, Mm. uh, a bit of an oops. Yeah. But the police were able to determine that the murder or murderers had hung around the property for several days after the killings. Uh, In addition to the sighting of a figure with a lit lantern and smoke coming from the chimney, police noted that the entire bread supply from the kitchen had been eaten, and that someone had recently cut meat from the meat supply in the pantry. 
The cows and the family Pomeranian were in good health, and it appeared that somebody had been feeding and taking care of them in the days after the murders. Unusually, they also found a large amount of money and valuables lying around the house. The Gruber-Gabriel family were very well off and kept quite a lot of cash and valuables on hand. The presence of all the money in the house sort of disproved the police's initial theory that the family had been killed by a random drifter or vagrant who just wandered in to rob them. Nobody breaks in, kills a family, then hangs out for three days feeding the cows, and then takes nothing if they're just after cash. Yeah, that's- that's, Not how you do that. That indicates some very odd mixed motives, if so. Yeah, but it wasn't money. There There was valuables there for the taking that nobody took. So, very strange. That's a very strange detail. Police believe that the killer or killers had lured the family into the barn one at a time. I mean, you'd have to. You'd have to. It's the only way that this works. They think the killers may have set one of the cows or horses in the stable loose in order to lure the family members out to deal with it one by one and snatch them when they went into the stable to try to deal with this horse or whatever the hell they let loose. It's not really possible to determine what order they died in as the killers appeared to have stacked and positioned the bodies after death. Like firewood. Them farm instincts. Yeah, just throw them in the corner. Investigators did do a test, though, and they did determine that loud noises and screams in the barn couldn't be heard from the living quarters, which would have made this easier to pull off. Oh, that... Well, like, how does the person... But how does he know? Yeah, exactly. You're taking a pretty big risk. You're just, like, kind of eyeballing the door and the size of the stable and going, yeah, that looks soundproof to me. Yeah, I could probably scream here. Like, I mean, I understand the constable who's he's got to wait, wait over there to, like, bellow while, like, the, his boss is in the next room. Like, you know, like, sound more like a seven-year-old girl. Like, right? You gotta roleplay that shit. I understand his motivation. But, like, did this dude test it out? That seems risky. What happens if you let the horse out and more than one person comes to deal with it? Or what if... Which seems perfectly reasonable. I mean, it's a what horse. What if the... F- what if the first person doesn't come back and the whole rest of the family gets suspicious? Like, how do you pull this off? The logistics yeah. are fascinating. I mean, like, it's this kind of thing I would do in Call of Duty, but, like, the average human being has a slightly more complex AI. But the family being lured one by one is kind of the only thing that makes sense. It's just how the, how they pulled it off that kind of... It's a bit of a head-scratcher. But other than that, there just wasn't a lot to go on. One other person did come forward with a possible sighting of the killers. A local farmer and butcher said he had been walking home at 3am on April 1st when he saw two figures he didn't recognize standing on the edge of the forest not far from Hinterkaifeck. He said that they fled into the woods as soon as they saw him. A resident of a nearby town called Weidhofen came forward several years after the murders to report that a strange man stopped him on the street at midnight in May of 1927, that's five years after the murders, and started asking questions about the Hinterkaifeck murders. The man then apparently shouted that he was the murderer and took off running into the nearby woods. Huh. I am not sure how much stake I want to put into that one. Like, there's a lot of explanations for that, and most of them are, like, one of the people involved here was a loony. Yeah, we hadn't yet invented the first antipsychotic. Um, and after every, like, famous murder, multiple people come forward to falsely confess that they did it. This is, like, a known problem in law enforcement. Oh, huge. So, I'm maybe not gonna put a lot of stake in the guy confessing yeah, like, to it on the street. 
Who would possibly admit to a murder that vile if they didn't do it? It's like schizophrenics, that's who. Also, so many people that police actually have to think of strategies to outwit people who falsely confess to crimes. Like, there are serial murder confessioners. Yeah, it's, it's actually a real problem. There are more people who will confess to being a serial killer than who would actually serially kill. For real. But uh, police did eventually find the murder weapon. So after the murders, Hinterkaifeck passed to Andreas's brother because the property owners, Victoria and her daughter Cazelia, were dead. So the, the next of kin... I ain't living there. Mm-mm. No, that was the whole thing. So the next of kin was Andreas's brother, but he didn't really want it. And the no Gabriel shit. family, which was Victoria's... Well, Victoria's dead husband, uh, his family wanted the property just for the land. They just wanted to grow things on it. And they asked Andreas's brother to sell it to them. He agreed on the condition that the house be torn down. Good. Not want the house to stay standing. So roughly a year after the murders, the house was demolished. And in the process of demolishing the house, they discovered human feces, food scraps, and a bloodstained mattock in the attic. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why are you pooping in the attic, man? Well, yeah, I don't know why you're pooping why are in you the pooping? attic. Why are you pooping in the attic? You're hiding up there. There's no toilets. It's 1922. Oh, of course. And like, even in the modern day, no one puts a toilet in their attic. That's weird. No, not a lot of attic toilets. Very few. <laughs> and you'll, you'd hear it flush anyway. You'd have some concerns. Yeah, like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Excuse but me. But <laughs> a, a farmhand who helped out on Hinterkaifeck during harvest season identified the mattock as having belonged to Andreas. It was apparently handmade and was quite unique. They also found a penknife in the attic that didn't seem to belong to anyone, although the former maid said that she thought it looked familiar and she was pretty sure she'd seen it on the property before she'd quit. It just feels like they would have, like, thoroughly searched the attic already. I know, but apparently not. Apparently they were like, attics, nothing interesting is ever up there. and Nothing fun ever happens in an attic. I don't know if this was a space of the attic that was hard to get to. I don't know what the deal is, but they didn't find any of this stuff until, like, the house was actually torn down. Like, those aren't rat droppings. No! Well, what a... Jesus, if they've got rats that big, then being murdered is almost the least of their problems. (laughs) That's almost a mercy. Holy shit. But the discovery in the attic pretty much confirmed what you'd already guessed by now, which was that somebody had been living up there for at least some stretch of time. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, I hate it too. I hate it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's a little... not great. I, I, I like it has been, I think, around eighty episodes now. But Janelle, you have finally squicked me the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> I finally broke Jessica. You found a line, <laughs> and that line is people just living in your walls without you knowing it, then creeping out and murdering you before bedtime. (laughs) Jessica draws the fucking line at people living in the walls. Just people living in the walls, pooping in the attic like they're fucking mice. (laughs) Jessica has limits. Too far, Janelle! You've gone too far! On the whole, other than even with the attic poop discovered... The evidence in this case was pretty weak. Forensics was kind of still in its infancy in 1922. Like, there are some forensics. This is not like Jack the Ripper, where we're just kind of like, well, that's a murder. 
and moving on with our lives. Uh, Boy, there... howdy. She sure did get stabbed. <laughs> yeah, that's the, looking for people with weak chins and suspicious eyes. Like, no, no, no. There's a little bit of forensics. Yeah, we're, not, we're not measuring people's <laughs> skull shapes here. Also, the crime scene had been pretty well contaminated by all the people who had tramped through it. So the police ultimately only had a few solid things to go on. I mean, solid waste, mostly. Oh, you had to make the joke. Yeah, but I'm... Yeah, so they have they have dried poop and some theories. So the things that they felt pretty strong about were that, one, the motive was likely personal. Mm. The killer ignored easily accessible money and valuables, and this is a deranged amount of effort to go through just to steal a couple days' worth of meat and bread. Yeah, so it's a lot to go through for a good sausage. Two, they felt that the, the murderer was likely familiar with farm life, yeah. As they completed farm chores and cared for livestock for several days after the murder, even milking the cows. This is 1922, so it's no longer agrarian times, and not just everybody knew how to run a farm, although most people in the area definitely did. There's a technique to milking a cow. It's 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 not, you just don't yank on a titty. <laughs> and it's, also, you it comes out. Like, there's a technique. You just wouldn't do it. Like, if you don't live on a farm, you're not gonna think you like- You wouldn't even know to. No, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be the first thing that crossed my mind if I killed six people on a farm. Like, oh, gotta milk the cows. That would be irresponsible. Like, yeah, no, they've got that's... gallon udders. I mean, sure, I've got to walk past the seven-year-old victim of my brutal slaughter several days ago, but it would just be, it would just be cruel to leave them unmilked. You wouldn't. The cows are in the stable, so if you were staying in the family, you could just ignore the barn, just seal that shit up, right, right, right. and it's like it never happened. Uh, <laughs> but don't you have to go into the barn for hay? Yeah, I guess you maybe would do. I don't know what the hell they were doing, but they were doing farm chores. They also figured that the killer was physically very strong. A mattock is heavy, yeah. especially like an old school handmade mattock. It's quite heavy, and inflicting that kind of damage on six people is not an easy feat. It would wear you out, especially in that short of a period of time. Yeah, exactly. And you, you can't guarantee the old lady's gonna come in last. You wanna be fresh. They also figured that the killer was probably familiar with Hinterkaifeck in particular. Pulling this crime off would have been very difficult without at least some knowledge of the home's layout, including the attic, the attached barn. The killer also used a weapon that was already on the farm. They didn't bring their own weapon. And they probably would have had to have had at least some knowledge of who lived in the house. This it would have been a difficult crime for a random drifter to pull off. It 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 would have been difficult to pull off under any circumstances, but it definitely would have been easier if you knew at least a little bit about the out like the the layout of the home. But why does he hang around? Like I get if you really want to take care of the animals, but it's just this just this odd mixture of brutality and kindness. Because, like, the the longer you hang around, the more risky it is that someone's going to find you. Especially because the killer appears to leave the house during a very short window of time. It seems that the killer left the house sometime between the mechanic leaving and the boys coming to check. Because it's... The, the dog was moved. The dog was tied up outside while the mechanic was in working on the engine. And, like, there's no report of this, this dog barking. No, that was another very curious thing. The dog wasn't was a barky dog. But the dog the dog wouldn't bark at people that it knew well. So that only added to the theory that this was somebody the family knew because the dog would have gone ape shit. 
There are a lot of theories about who might have done it and why, and these theories run the gamut from plausible to, like, absolutely fucking bananas. Just bonkers. Just bonkers. Just kookalooch. Like, there's, there's some out there theories. Incidentally, in 2007, 15 university students who were studying to become detectives at the University of Applied Sciences for Administration and Law in Ferdensfeldsbruck, near Munich, that is the name of their university, it's a very long name, um, I mean, if you're, if you're gonna be German, you eventually, you just learn to work your way around some consonants. You can't even really, like, abbreviate it. It's the U of A-S-A-L-F-M. <laughs> but they were starting to become detectives, and they decided to use this case for their final thesis. So for their thesis, they had to re-examine all the evidence from the original case to figure out whether this case could still be solved using modern police methods and case notes and files from back in the day. And two, if the case could have been solved with modern police methods if it happened today. Mm. These students produced a 188-page report on the case. And if you read German, you can find it for free online. It is kind of like the cardinal document of this case. I think you should just pity how much effort Janelle had to do. Just read broken Google Translate English for this case. I tried so hard. There is a wiki that somebody created. There's a Hinterkaifeck wiki. It's entirely in German. Of but course. But Google does, like, an okay job of translating it. There's just a few things where you're like, ah, that's not how sentences and words fit together. That's not but, the usual order that verbs go in. No, but you can kind of figure it out. According to the students, they were able to eliminate all but one possible suspect who they believed to be the killer. They declined, however, to name this person in the report. The suspect had already died, and they did not want the person's surviving family to be harassed if they released their conclusions. So we may never know. There's only, like, 15 former students and their professor are, like, the only people on this earth who know the plausible identity of the Hinterkaifeck killer. So in the absence of the students' findings, we're just gonna go through some of the major theories ourselves, kind of starting with ones that are straight out to lunch, and then moving on to some of the more plausible theories. We're gonna start with the Medjury Taylor Greens, and we're gonna we're gonna work our way towards reality. <laughs> it's a political reference. Boom, topical. Feet for look at us being topical. We acknowledge that the present exists. Passing. Yeah, we 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 recognize that we live in a terrible present, and we retreat into a terrible past. This is what a healthy coping mechanism all of this is. There was this theory, to start with, and we've already discussed this briefly, that this was a suicide. They were aware about the situation between Andreas and Victoria, about the incest conviction, the fact that Andreas was possibly an abusive monster, that Victoria's sisters had not survived to adulthood. Also, though, if you've been paying attention and you've been doing some math, you might have noticed something. That Victoria's husband died in 1914, but she had a two-year-old son in 1922. Yeah, that's weird. I, I immediately noticed that, and I was just like, what the fuck? Yep. Yep. There was a rumor that Andreas was actually the biological father of Joseph. There was a belief that this whole thing may have been a murder-suicide, most likely that the Victoria-Andrea situation may have reached some sort of boiling point and caused either Andreas or Victoria to just fucking murder the entire family and then end themselves. 
The obvious problem, though, is that people don't generally commit suicide by beating themselves to death with farm equipment. That's, yeah, that's a lot. It's it's not a method You know, if I was going to kill myself, I would not lie in front of a combine harvester. Never no, mind. Nobody chooses death by farm equipment. It's no, it's not awful. Good. It's horrifying. Like, I'm not going to just pick up a mallet and beat myself to death. No, no. There are so many easier ways of doing that. And, like, multiple wounds as well. Like, you're never going to be able to hit yourself hard enough that you're not going to suffer as you slowly lose the ability to hit yourself more. It just, the whole logistics of it, it doesn't make any sense. So this theory was pretty quickly abandoned. Another interesting theory that was floated, and this was floated by police, not by crazy people on the internet. The police thought this. This is a doozy. They floated the idea that the murderer was Carl Gabriel, Victoria's long-lost husband. What? Yeah, yeah. So what? Carl Gabriel, yeah, you see, you see the flaw immediately. What? <laughs> he's 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 been dead for eight years, so you're you're seeing the issue. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Carl Gabriel was said to have been killed in action in Arras, France, in 1914, but his body was never actually recovered. He went missing during battle and was presumed killed in action. This does happen. Like, this is not an unusual thing. The theory goes that, that again, police came up with. Sounds like a wild night at the uh, the precinct. This sounds like something that, like, the worst kind of true crime blogger comes up with after, like, 14 straight hours on Reddit. This sounds like something you would find 200 comments deep in a Reddit thread. This does not sound like a real police theory. And, like, the rest of Reddit is just like, yeah, fuck off. Fuck off, this is outlandish. But the theory goes that he ran off and defected to the Soviets during the war, and then returned to the farm seven years later, discovered that his wife had had a baby with some other man in his absence, and became so enraged that he murdered the entire family with a mattock. This theory became popular after the Second World War, when a group of captured German soldiers were prematurely released from Soviet custody. They came home saying that they had been set free by a German-speaking Soviet officer who told them that he had committed the infamous Hinterkaifeck murders back in 1922. People who knew Carl Gabriel in life also came forward to say that he had been interested in Russia and had wanted to go there. I mean, that's, that's evidence enough. I guess, right? Like, if this was a fictional story, this would 100% be what happened. This would be the right answer. Absolutely. This is the most satisfying answer possible, because, man, what a twist. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that only really exists in literature. It only exists in literature. In the real world, there's some pretty major holes in this story. For one thing, several surviving members of Carl's platoon testified that they saw him get hit by a shell, <laughs> and, like, they saw him die. It's not really a survivable injury, so, like, they just didn't retrieve the body. It's it's not at all unusual for the bodies of World War One soldiers to not be recovered. Those battles were pure chaos, and there wasn't always time to retrieve the bodies of the fallen. It's 1914 trench warfare. T conditions are not ideal. My great-uncle's bones are somewhere in a trench in Corselet, France. He was never recovered, either. He is officially missing, presumed, killed in action, but, like, he was definitely- And I'm pretty sure he is dead. He's I've, dead. I have no evidence of that, but I'm, I have, I I'm, mean, con I'm confident. Nobody ever saw him again after, like, an incredibly brutal battle, so we're gonna go with died in the battle. Uh, <laughs> this was this was the fate of a lot of World War One soldiers. The logistics of this situation are absolutely bananas. The effort it would take to fake your own death in a shell attack, somehow defect to the Soviets, 
Return to Bavaria six years later and then axe murder your in-laws and get away unseen is exhausting to even think about. Never mind, like, how would you discover that your wife had had a son that was the wrong age without revealing to the locals that you were there? Carl Gabriel never met his daughter, Cazelia. He died before she was born. Why would you show up out of the blue to your long-lost family and instead of, like, meeting the daughter you never got to meet, you just hide in the attic like a fucking weirdo? Yeah, and then murder her. And then murder her. That doesn't seem... Yeah, the motive seems screwy. If you care... One, if you care about whether or not your wife has a child with another man, maybe don't disappear mysteriously for seven years. You know, just a thought. It it feels like you should be a little bit more understanding of the situation. Also, the people who knew them said that Carl and Victoria did not have a particularly happy marriage and that he wanted to get away from her. He had apparently even moved out of the Gruber farmhouse for a while during their brief marriage and had moved back in with his parents. Fair. I mean, that shit seems weird. Andreas was apparently abusive and domineering toward Carl. Some people even told police that Carl had enlisted in the war just to get away from his in-laws. Uh, in 1952, one witness who told who knew the family told a journalist, I am of the opinion that the couple did not have a good relationship with each other and that Carl Gabriel had married Victoria Gruber for the money and property of Hinterkaifeck and that Victoria was the only daughter. If all he wanted was Victoria's money and land, all he had to do to claim it was just to show up. He was half owner of the property. It was already his. There's no motive to kill them all. It seems weird to give a shit that the wife you didn't actually love that much had a baby with another man seven years after you last saw her, and then take none of the cash. Not only does he not need to steal it, he doesn't. There's also no indication anywhere that Carl was the kind of psychopath who'd murder his own daughter in cold blood. That's kind of an intense crime. So, Yeah, like, the average person does not have the ability to just, like, coldly lure six people out into a- well, four people out into a barn and fucking- cave their heads in. No, one of whom is your own daughter. Who you presumably have nothing against. She wasn't even born when you left. Like, no. This this theory is absolutely fucking bananas. Yeah, I feel pretty safe ruling that theory out. I mean, I'll never feel safe again, but I'm glad you do. <laughs> Jessica's just gonna go check her closet for fucking people. <laughs> it's a wardrobe. It's right across from me. There's no way a man could fit in it, but it's just tall enough, so now I'm uncomfortable. One of the other original suspects in the case was a man named Joseph Bartle. A lot of the early investigation was actually focused on him and trying to track him down, something that the lead detectives would later be criticized for. Bartle was an escapee from a German mental asylum, which I can only assume is a barrel of laughs in 1922. Oh, that's probably a gas. Mental asylum, 1922. German. Mm. None of those are good. Sounds like a fun time. Yeah, so he escapes, and he happened to be at large when the murders were committed. Sometime after the murder, he reportedly paid a stranger for food and a hiding place with a blood-stained 100-mark coin. And that's kind of the entire case against him. Is he even nearby? No. The hospital he had escaped from was 70 kilometers from Hinterkaifeck. And oh, there's, boy. there's no evidence that he knew of the farm's existence or knew anyone in the household. So it's basically just, there isn't a cra- escaped crazy person. Maybe he did it. That is 100% of the thought process. There was no sightings of him in the area. There's no indication he knew anyone in the area or would have a reason to go there. There's no evidence that the bloody coin came from Hinterkaifeck. Nothing. 
The cops apparently just looked at the crime and went, only a crazy person would do this. Do we know any crazy people? And that's sort of the whole thing. Oh boy, there's there's just like a very basic, deeply bigoted logic. Yeah, for sure. It's, <laughs> it's, it's bigoted as hell. They just went like, well, there's an asylum patient on the loose. Maybe he did it. They just honed in on him. And then in the, in, after, like, with, with hindsight, they were like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have spent all of the valuable early days of the investigation just trying to hunt down this one poor bastard hiding from the mental asylum. <laughs> Other suspects were Anton and Charles Bickler, along with George Siegel. So in the wake of the murder, suspicion fell on Anton and Charles Bickler, who were two local petty thieves. Anton actually had a connection to the family. He had apparently been romantically, or just sexually, involved with one of the former maids, and he sometimes helped out on the Gruber farm during harvest season as a hired laborer. He and his brother were said to be jealous of the Gruber's wealth. The maid said that the brothers often talked about the Gruber and Gabriel family wealth, and how they deserve to die. <laughs> eat, eat. <laughs> Hashtag eat the rich? The maid also said that the family's dog normally barked at everybody. It's a fucking Pomeranian. It's basically just adrenaline and fur. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a voice box with a hairdo. It's high strung, and I say that as the owner of a chihuahua. But she said the family's dog normally barked at everybody, but was familiar with Anton and never barked at him. The maid also suggested that another former laborer, Charles Siegel, may have been involved. Siegel was also said to be jealous of the family's wealth. In November of 1920, someone had actually broken into the farm and stolen a bunch of valuables. The family always suspected it was Charles, although he always denied it. Charles, incidentally, had carved the wooden handle of the murder mattock, so he knew the tool existed and he knew where it was kept. However, it turns out that both of the Bickler brothers had a pretty solid alibi for the night of the murders. At the time, they had been working several towns over in Schrobenhausen for several days, uh, and they'd worked before and after the murders, and they wouldn't really have had time to get all the way to Hinterkaifeck and back and still report to work. It feels like a lot of effort to go to for an alibi. To take nothing. Never mind that, like, we know for a fact that, like, someone was still in the house for, like, days afterwards. So they're they're showing up to their jobs, like, it's probably not them. Likewise, there was a theory of Peter Weber... Peter Weber was another day laborer who had worked at the farm from 1919 to 1920. His friend Joseph Betts, another day laborer, turned him into the police as a possible suspect. He said that Peter was jealous of the family's wealth and knew that they were an easy target, as it was only an elderly couple, a widow, and two children. He had apparently suggested in the past that it would be easy to kill Andreas and take his money. Again, though, this theory is undercut by the fact that no money was actually taken. You also don't need to kill the two-year-old, and you don't need to kill the maid. No, you don't. There's also Carl S. and Andreas S. So in 1971, a woman named Teresa T. came forward to say that when she was a child, her mother had been visited by the mother of two men named Carl and Andreas. She said that this woman told her mother that her sons were the hinter murderers. So this is like several layers of hearsay in. <laughs> mm-hmm. My mother was visited by the mother of these two men who said that they were the killers. So none of this is admittable in court. It's barely admissible in, like, Wednesday gossip. Yeah, it, My aunt would laugh you out of the room. It, it's 40 years later, too. So, you know, hmm. Or 50 years later. It's almost 50 years later. She said that the mother had reported that her son, Andreas, was upset that he had left his penknife behind after the murders. 
And there was actually a penknife found at the scene that the police couldn't really place. Uh, the mm. maid had thought that it looked familiar and that it had been on the property before the murders, but she wasn't sure. Ultimately, though, this bleed kind of went nowhere. It's hard to get much out of fourth-hand information that's, like, 50 years old. There's also the Gump Brothers. There's a real theme to the suspects here. This is apparently a brotherly crime. In 1941, a woman named Crescentia Mayer told the priest attending to her on her deathbed that her brothers Anton and Adolf Gump had committed the murders. She claimed that Adolf had secretly been seeing Victoria, but had found out about the incestuous relationship going on with her father and had lost his fucking marbles over it. She said that he had enlisted his brother to help him kill Victoria and Andreas, and that they had taken out the entire family to ensure that there were no witnesses. For some reason, though, Crescentia's story wasn't investigated by law enforcement for 11 years after her death. When they did investigate, they realized that Adolf had actually died in 1944. Anton was remanded to custody for a while, but was eventually released, and the case against him was dismissed entirely in 1954 due to a lack of evidence. There's really just nothing to tie him to this crime. But probably the most interesting suspect is Lauren Schlittenbauer, the man who had discovered the bodies. So Lawrence was one of the Gruber family's closest neighbors, and he had been close with the family for a long time. His own house was only 500 meters away on the other side of the woods. Lawrence's first wife had died in 1918, and after her death, he had begun a romantic relationship with Victoria, and possibly was the father of Joseph. Who isn't dating Victoria at this point? I don't even know how to feel it's she had a this is a seven-year window she she's gonna date her husband's been dead a while i guess the initials ls actually do appear on joseph's birth certificate but it's not clear if those are the initials of the father or of the attending physician for what it's worth though lorenz believed that he was joseph's father in his testimony to police he said that he had broken into the house to check on the family because he was concerned about his son so, the relationship between Victoria and Lawrence ended poorly, apparently. Most of the sources I found said that Victoria's father, Andreas, had found out about the relationship. Some say because of the pregnancy, or some say that he had proposed marriage to her. And he had lost it, he had banned Lawrence from the household, and for forbade Victoria to continue the relationship. Keep in mind, she's 32 years old at the time, and she's the legal owner of the farm. That's how, like, overbearing Andreas is. I saw some sources that said that Lawrence and Victoria had been in a dispute over child support. Some said that Victoria was pursuing Lawrence for more child support money and Lawrence was furious about it, as Victoria's family was substantially wealthier than his. Yeah, that does feel pretty unnecessary. Well, true. Lawrence himself disputed the rumors. He told police that this wasn't true and that all financial matters pertaining to the child had been settled and that there was no conflict between them about it. At the time of the murders, Lawrence was remarried and living with his wife. She was actually his alibi for the night of the murders, as he claimed that he'd gone to bed next to her as usual. What really got Lawrence on people's radar as a suspect was his unusual behavior at the crime scene. For one thing, when they found the bodies, Lawrence began touching fucking everything. This is, this is 1922, but it's not the Dark Ages. Forensics are a thing at this point, and the other men knew that they shouldn't disturb anything once they'd figured out the barn was a crime scene. They said that they had told Lawrence this, but he carried on moving and repositioning bodies and picking things up in the barn, which is kind of a weird response. There, that's, there's a weird comfort with the corpses there. The group had had to break into the barn to find the bodies, but when they went to check the house, Lawrence unlocked the door with a key. 
Uh... Yeah. So remember, a house key had gone missing in the weeks leading up to the murders. So it's not clear, did Lawrence have the stolen key? Or did he just have his own copy of the key because he was dating Victoria at one point and was the father of Joseph? Also, he's their closest neighbor. It's not that unusual for your closest neighbor to have a key. Also, like, the the initial, like, footsteps come out of the woods, right? Yeah, and he lives on the other side of the woods. But why would he break the lock on the machine room if he had a key to the front door? It's Maybe he didn't have a key and maybe he did break in to steal it. It's all very hard to say. I've also seen some sources, mostly seem to be rumors, that he had actually continued his relationship with Victoria in secret, although he denied this. The other men wanted to leave the house while they waited for police to arrive to make sure that they didn't touch or disturb anything, but Lauren started to putter around the house feeding and milking livestock. It's kind of hard to know what to make of all this. Especially because, like, it's exactly what the killer was doing, you know, days before. Yeah, and was he trying to modify the crime scene and cover his own tracks? Or was he really just in shock? He just found his ex-lover, his infant son, and their entire family brutally murdered, and people will do some weird shit when they're in shock. Complete autopilot, really. Yeah, and he's a farmer. This is what he does. Milking cows Mm -hmm. and taking care of livestock. It's comforting in a way. It's his thing. Uh, years later, Lawrence again came under suspicion for telling a journalist that the bodies had probably been laid on the barn like that because the ground in the barn was too frozen to bury them. People figured why the hell would he know that? Then again, though, Lawrence only lived 500 meters from the family home and probably had the same issue. That he couldn't- the ground was too frozen to dig anything. Mm. Also, this was probably one of the most traumatic days of his life, so it might not be surprising that he remembered the temperature or the ground conditions. But it's just- it's just- it's just a weird- It's a weird detail. Projection onto the killer's mindset. Yeah, it's a weird thing to- to mention. But either way, Lawrence was never prosecuted for the crime. He never faced charges. That didn't stop people from calling him the murderer of Hinter Kaifek for the rest of his life. Something that, incidentally, he actually successfully sued for. <laughs> he won several defamation suits throughout his lifetime. Against people Stop who called him the murderer. Me a murderer. Yeah, apparently Stop there it. was uh, his family injured Stop quite it. a bit of harassment actually up and even after he had died. He would. The killer is almost certainly dead. We know that. Whoever, yeah. if you if you were of age to commit a murder ninety nine years ago, you were probably not looking so hot today. But who was the killer? It's hard to say. Uh, well, I mean, like one. They're probably not going to come get me. On the other hand, I'm probably not going to go to sleep tonight. I don't even have an attic, Janelle. <laughs> no, you don't. You live in an apartment. Oh, I, on, the, on the top floor, too. Yeah, There's it's just no roof. Way. It's just roof. It's just nothing but roof. <laughs> I'm upset. Yeah, so I guess we haven't... We weren't able to, t- to tell you the... The identity of the Hinter Kaifek murderer, but we did teach you to check your attic for poop. <laughs> Always a good lesson. Usually for very different reasons. Yeah, normally it's not because there's a murderer, it's usually just if you have mice. You know, check behind your appliances. You'll you'll find some poop and then you gotta put some traps out. In this case, really big ones. Really big traps. Really, Huge. really big traps. Unbelievably big. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I didn't. No, Jessica didn't have fun. This was not a fun episode. I did not have fun. 
Make this sure was you're... I've the least happy I have been after an episode in a long time. <laughs> I mean, like I I was that was interesting. I feel enriched, <laughs> but I'm also very upset. <laughs> Look for footsteps in the snow and poop in the attic. Death is near. Ah, oh, there's no snow here. It's Vancouver. <laughs> well, there's snow here. I'll we never have... see it coming. We have angered somebody. It's just been like relentless storms and power outages here in Halifax. Man's fucking hubris to build a giant city on a piece of shale sticking into the ocean. <laughs> but I've been Jessica. And I have been Janelle. And thank you for watching Histories and Mysteries. Yay! I don't know if you watched it. You listened to it. I mean, like, if you if you will go on SoundCloud, you can see the little waveform move around. That's true. Thanks mm. for staring at a waveform for an hour and a half, if that is in fact what you did. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.